Welcome to Staffing in Sync, the podcast that brings you live panel discussions featuring the leading experts in the staffing industry and hosted by staffing consultant and trainer, Tom Erb. Staffing in Sync is produced and sponsored by SyncStream Solutions, the top provider of Affordable Care Act compliance for the staffing industry, and Essential Staff Care, the largest provider of health insurance and benefits for the staffing industry. Sit back, relax, and join our expert panelists as we dive into the latest staffing trends, insights, and expert opinions. Our panelists are Hope Bradford, Senior Director of Digital Transformation with Kelly, and David Francis, Vice President of Research and Product at Talent Tech Labs. I'm excited to have the two of you on here uh, because, uh, first of all, you're going to have to talk. Obviously, all of a sudden, my voice goes. But, uh, <laughs> so this is uh, three quarters of the technology panel for this, the um, American Staffing Association uh, Conference, uh, Staffing World. And Jim Essie, unfortunately, couldn't be with us. He's actually on a plane, so uh, he couldn't make it. But I'm glad to have Hope and David here. So Hope, give us just a little bit of your background. Yeah, thanks, uh, Tom. So I've been uh, 25 over 25 years in staffing now and primarily in the IT space, the technology space and spent five years in the business. I always, um, I pride myself on being the decoder uh, many times for the technology side. I have a large team, I would consider a large team of anywhere from business analysts to testers to developers across the organization and across the globe. Um, we buy technology, we build technology I have the lovely experience of working for Kelly, so we have that capability to um, buy and build, and um, we've we've got a lot of activities going. So I get to dabble across the, the technology spectrum and um, buy large technology and even dabble in the small technology space. So it, it makes it fun and interesting all at the same time and, and also scary and demanding. Um, I've got a lot of demanding business um, partners and hopefully some are on the phone and they're not offended at that. They always put the challenge to the test and keep me busy. But um, nonetheless, it's, it's very, you know, I've enjoyed my time at Kelly and it's been a fun and interesting ride. Great. Thanks hope. Uh, demanding partners and clients always just make mm -hmm. you better. So only, uh, only a few battle scars to show for it too. Exactly. Right? <laughs> That's right. David, how about you? Only a few. Uh, great, great to meet you all. Uh, thanks, Tom, for, for having me on. My name is Dave Francis, uh, based in uh, Palo Alto, California. Uh, it's a little bit south of San Francisco. Um, uh, Talent Tech Labs, we're a research and advisory company. Um, uh, I guess I'm about a decade in the staffing industry. I actually started my my career in staffing at um, Staffing Industry Analysts. As a, I guess I started as like a, a, a junior analyst there and, um, you know, uh, eventually built out a technology practice. Uh, joined Talent Tech Labs in 2019 uh, to build out a, uh, a research function here. So our business, we're a uh, research and advisory company focused on um, recruiting and, you know, talent technology specifically. Um, interestingly enough, kind of fun fact, we were actually born out of a staffing company. So um, uh, one of our co-founders was the chief operating officer for uh, Mitchell Martin, which is a mid-size um, IT staffing company. They were struggling to, you know, implement different, you know, onboarding tools and other kinds of technology that they're trying to, you know, be cutting edge. And so, um, you know, had a really kind of uh, forward thinking founder, uh, Gene Holtzman, who said, well, why don't we 
kind of dedicate, you know, a little incubator and figure out, you know, what all the technologies are and kind of where the reality uh, meets meets the hype and um, see if we can cut through some of that noise. So um, actually, Talent Tech Lab started as an incubator inside of, um, you know, uh, uh, Mitchell Martin, eventually grew. And now, you know, about half of our business, we're advising uh, large corporate clients and the other half is advising um, staffing companies on their uh, uh, technology uh, stack and use. Yeah. So thank you both for Go ahead. ahead. No, you go ahead. I was just thank thank you both for for that. I I think you bring uh, a wealth of knowledge in two different perspectives. And then, you know, my my background, I'm working with staffing and recruiting companies all day long, every day. And so technology is a huge part of that. So it's something that I'm constantly talking about and constantly looking at, uh, you know, what are some of the great new technologies that are out there and how do we be more productive? How do we scale with technology? And it leads us into the my first question. And by the way, before I get into the question, for those of you that are listening to the podcast here, uh, feel free to put questions into the Q&A. We'd love to answer questions. I think that's the most fun part of this is that this isn't about just asking a bunch of scripted questions. I got questions, but we'd rather answer the questions that you're all asking about. So I'll be monitoring the Q&A as, as you have the questions, and uh, we'll be bringing it up to the whole panel for us to discuss. So uh, starting out, what, you know, on a very general question, what, what's some of the best staffing technology that the, the staffing firms are using out there? What are you, what are you seeing uh, at kind of a high level? Um, just, I guess, what is the, the difference between what some of the more progressive staffing firms are with technology, what they're using, and maybe what the rest of the industry is using? And I'll help if you want to start off. Yeah, so I, I think a lot of the staffing firms, they're really looking at, uh, of course, they've been using applicant tracking systems for years, those have been around. Um, but I think where the uh, separation is really happening right now is those that are incorporating the machine learning. Um, and, you know, they're, a lot of them are incorporating AI, and I'll, I'll use that AI. Um, there's a various degree of AI incorporated in uh, the ATS tools. But those that are really finding the secret sauce of being able to uh, scan the databases and really pull those talent records out. A lot of us have a lot of talent records. And um, for those consulting firms and even for ourselves that have a large database, uh, we've got a lot of talent records. It's finding them and finding them quickly. Um, it's not for the lack of records um, or talent out there. It's finding them quickly and finding those matches. The other piece is finding those matches and refreshing that data. Um, so we may have found Tom out there when you were young and and, and um, maybe in an internship or something like that. It's really finding what you're doing now. Maybe you're an engineer that we could place in a, another situation and finding that information and finding uh, that out quickly and uh, getting the jump on that is is what we really need. And I think that's where the separation is really happening with a lot of the tools that we're seeing. Yeah, I, I tell staffing companies all the time that the difference between you and a company starting up today is your database. And yet in mm -hmm. so many cases, we just don't pay any attention to it. It's, it's like we value these applicants that are coming through the door and, oh, they're the greatest thing in the world. And if we don't place them two days later, we don't think about them anymore. And it's, it's almost like they're falling off a cliff or something into our database. Right. So, so it, it's a right. it's a great point. Yeah. Well, and being able to 
create those talent pools and nurturing those talent pools. And um, I really think that's where people are going to capitalize as well. And, um, you know, the war on talent is real. And I think that's where people are, are going to focus more and more. Yeah. David? Yeah, I was going to say it's a little bit of a travesty. David? That's the uh, if somebody's letting folks, you know, uh, you know, if they're forgetting about them two days after they fly because they didn't get placed. But I think that unfortunately probably is the uh, standard. Yeah. So um, first and foremost, I guess I'll just say, you know, maybe uh, counterintuitively coming from a you know from that's focused on on technology uh, in in staffing. You know, one just observation I've made is there's a lot of really kind of highly performing organizations that just have a really great process and culture. And so regardless of how great, you know, technology is, and it is extremely important, it is great. Uh, um, you know, the technology isn't something you can go out, like there isn't a tool that's going to go out there and, you know, fix a broken culture or fix a broken process. And so, you know, if you kind of weigh relative with the two, uh, culture and process, probably number one, and then two, your technology should really be supporting that and making you more efficient and, you know, having basically supercharging uh, your, 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 um, your great culture already. So with that out of the way, uh, I guess a few, so Hope already mentioned the applicant tracking system. So I think having a good, you know, called system of record is, is, um, you know, obviously core. Um, you need basically a good sourcing portfolio. And so for a lot of staffing companies, that's just like a collection of job boards that they've decided to do business with. Um, uh, a lot of times there hasn't been a ton of thought into kind of what that collection of job boards is or or why. And so there's usually some room for improvement and innovation there. Um, there's an engagement layer, which is really important. And in particular, the I, maybe the bigger opportunity as I call out, mine with what Hope said is, is, is matching and rediscovery. And so, you know, for a lot of firms, they've, once you get to a certain kind of collection record level or a certain, you know, number of candidates that are in your database, being able to surface those, resurface those, and refresh the data, um, you know, basically it becomes a channel into itself, right? And so the strategy for most or for, for many firms should be, you know, how can we move, spend away from job boards or the, the flow of applicants away from job boards and towards, you know, rediscovering talent that we already have, basically turning our database into a, you know, an internal uh, a search engine. Um, sales obviously important. And then obviously you need, you know, kind of middle middle and back office technology. Um, so, you know, that's kind of the core where, you know, where the focus needs to be kind of depends on, on the organization, you know, staff and companies come in all shapes and sizes and, um, you know, depends kind of on the occupational specialty you're in, but um, you cut, those are the core areas that you need to have at least buttoned up. And I'd say importantly, you know, a differentiating factor is just the ability to kind of see the whole, uh, uh, kind of see the forest for the trees, so to speak. And so, you know, what happens at a lot of organizations, corporate and staffing is, you know, getting data kind of across or holistically across, you know, all these different systems is really difficult getting kind of core reporting down. Um, and so, yeah, having kind of a holistic process, you basically your technology all talk to each other, um, yeah, particularly the bigger you get, the harder it gets. And it all starts with the ATS. Yeah. And yeah, one no. of the things that I see when <clears throat> I work with a lot of staffing companies is they're trying to introduce these new technologies, but they don't have even the basic fundamentals of their ATS nailed down. And in a lot of cases, we hear this uh, pushback of, well, our data is not any good. Well, 
but adding on that candidate engagement software, that mobile app or the, the uh, sourcing automation or things like that isn't going to help with your data getting any better. So and that that's one of the areas that I see that, that you got to get the basic fundamentals down, which is the ATS, right? That's the core, core system. It's like you said, the system of record. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I would definitely say that. And, and I think also, um, you know, streamlining your engagement activities. Yeah. I think that's a, a key point and, um, you know, making those meaningful moments. I think that's one of the things that I've seen over and over again, um, it, where people are, are trying to, um, message out to the, the talent, um, We've got activities going where they're they're messaging in, in certain avenues and certain uh, methodology or methods, and it, it sometimes is convoluted. I think in many areas, and you're right, they're snapping on different technologies to do that, but they really need to focus on the process too. And I think that's some of the areas that sometimes gets forgotten with the technology is the process that they're trying to enable. And so whether they're refreshing the data, searching for the data, what have you, I think they need to rediscover and get the process and, um, uh, you know, refocus on the process. Um, David talked about the, the data and really, you know, pushing the data and collecting the data. The analytics is still important. So the, the ATS is still the front end and maybe the, the system of record, but looking at the data and how you're using that data and the outcome and collecting that data, regardless of all the snap-on tools that you have, I think is also that in uh, the way you can actually see if your engine is working. So a lot of tools are out there. Um, you know, we're going to Staffing World in a couple of weeks and we're gonna see all the different tools and be able to see all the cool shiny objects. But it's like, if they're all going to be separate engines and not connected all together and you're not going to be seen how they're interacting with each other and you're not going to have one system that they're flowing into so you can see all the interactions. How do you analyze that data to see how things are uh, effective? I think that's where a lot of things fall short. Um, and, and I think that's where we struggle and it's hard to do, um, you know, mapping all that data through, you know, from the ATS to all of these niche systems down to how do you use that data? And how do you interpret it? Um, I think that's what what we struggle with. A lot of people want to buy all the shiny coins, and but they don't look at the connection between those. Yeah, and just having visibility to the data opens up all sorts of things. It, it really, what we see is that when you start to see the data and you're collecting the right types of data. So on the recruiting side, you're collecting how many candidate conversations, how many submittals, how many new starts, how much gross profit is generated. And on the sales side, you're doing sales activities and appointments and, and pipeline and, and gross profit. And you start to measure those. The more you have visibility, the more there is visibility. And what I mean by that is you start to go, wow, now I can look at this. I see the, the numbers, but now I can mm -hmm. really start to dissect it. Right. And I can start to actually do something with it. And then I can start to look at ratios and then I can start to do something with that. And then it goes back to what David was talking about, which is the, the, 
the people in the process and we can start to to really leverage that technology to have more insight into what the organization's doing. And some people may say, well, I can't integrate. I can't afford to integrate all these niche systems. You know, that could be another problem. I have the ATS system, but I have, I want to buy these separate systems. But you at least have to, like you said, Tom, look at the data that you, or that the, at least the output of these systems that you're using and compare it to what your um, other systems are doing to see if they're effective. Um, Otherwise, what's the purpose? Um, So I think there's some thought that you have have to put into that, at least at some point. Yeah. Well, and I am sure that um, some people are thinking about how do I get visibility to that data? Because maybe their ATS doesn't have the recording. So, you know, what, what could be some ways that they are able to get that data? David, I'll leave that to you. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's a, well, it depends on kind of what ATS you're in, I guess the most ATS systems is kind of part of their core are going to have some type of basic reporting. Um, uh, a lot of staffing companies are on, you know, they're, they're kind of, it's not their full back office, but they're basically Microsoft shops. And Microsoft has pretty powerful reporting tools. And so you don't need to be a coder to build a pretty decent dashboard um, uh, to, you know, you're basically going to plug in those systems or those data points and then have an analyst create the dashboards that you're looking uh, to get in, um, you know, uh, in Microsoft uh, Dynamics. Um, uh, There's some off the shelf tools. So, um, you know, Bullhorn acquired a company um, uh, that does kind of, you know, kind of frontline analytics. Uh, you purchase that separately. So if you're on you're on Bullhorn, you've got you've got that option. Um, Aviante has its own uh, proprietary uh, analytics suite. Um, there's a tool. There's a uh, the name's eluding me right off the top of my head, but there's a tool that basically is designed to be. It is a dynamics based um, analytics tool, but it's designed to just be like put on top of kind of any different staffing applicant tracking system um, as kind of a you know pre built analytics portal. Um, I can look that up if you're, uh, I'll, I'll just look that up real quick. Uh, share that with everybody if it's, if it's interesting. Yeah, yeah. there's, I think the, the key but is to a, take a look. Oh, but ahead. in essence, you, you, oh, but in essence, you should be able to extract and that should be one of the things that you're, you're asking these providers. Uh, typically you can extract some type of data out of these systems. And then if nothing else, um, import it into an Excel or some, some database where you can compile and pivot tables um, and at least establish some basic measures that you're trying to track um, upon implementation and and do some comparisons um, just to see how you're measuring, at least establish some guidelines at the beginning. Yeah, I think the important thing is- That particular tool, David, would be cool to to understand. Yeah, I think the, the important thing up. is that yeah, when sure. we're looking at data and dashboards and reports, you, you look at your ATS first, and then you look at um, then you look mm-hmm. at third-party integrations that are native integrations with it, so marketplace partners or whatever, and then you can also look at ways for you to get mm-hmm. the data um, from the ATS in other ways and have a third-party tool that's maybe not connected, but the data can go through. So there's different ways that people can can get that data, even if the ATS doesn't have a uh, a really robust business analytics tool integrated into the system. 
right? And that data is uh, that data is okay. is critical. So um, let me um, let me ask another question. What, what emerging technologies are we seeing um, coming down the pike that we should be aware of? And want me to want me to jump in there? Well, I um, right up. Yeah, you want to go first? Go for it. All right. So, I guess first of all, the uh, another kind of ca caveat I'll say. So we're you know tracking. I don't know if anybody has seen kind of our big um, you know infographic with all the bubbles on there, um, but you know we're tracking something around fifty eight kind of sub verticals or categories of technology, and if you double click kind of into each each and any one of those, you know, innovation kind of never really stops. And so, you know, across the uh, kind of whole spectrum, there's innovation happening all over the place. Um, that's in a broad strokes, where are maybe some of the more interesting, you know, areas of innovation. Um, first of all, the, the you know, the elephant in the room is everything that's happening around generative AI and large language models and all of the opportunities that are available um, or possibilities that are going to, you know, uh, be available as a result of those. So innovation or technology innovation kind of happens in two, uh, uh, in two, two ways. First is either there's some fundamental like breakthrough in technological capabilities where, you know, we, we invented something new or we discovered something new. And then the second one is, you know, some of that innovation basically boils its way something that already happened. It's like call it business process innovation where, you know, something that we've already discovered or has already been modeled in some other industry makes its way into the staffing industry. So like candidate engagement software is a good example of the second, right? Like that, had, you know, Salesforce came around and, and invented this category where you're going to engage your customers. Eventually that got, you know, kind of repackaged into a model where, you know, you can use texting technology and, you know, sequencing to engage candidates and tag them a certain way to do talent pooling and stuff like that, right? Uh, with Gen AI, it's basically it was a kind of a fundamental breakthrough. So we invented something new. Uh, all the use cases aren't in market yet, but they're what's crazy is like how fast they're coming to market, uh, how fast, you know, and it's kind of a function of this technology. It's really kind of a democratizing uh, piece of software. So, um, you know, you've, you've got a model that you can very easily apply to, you know, doing things like uh, conversational screening, you know, an invite to apply matching it's really good at kind of data extraction um uh assessment building and assessment you know uh using um uh and so you know the 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 possibilities are kind of endless here and we're just seeing like the first applications you know right now but um in terms of like where potential impact is going to happen like this is this is my my hypothesis is this is like the the you know is 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 as big as like the advent of the internet essentially in terms of long term business impact. Um, some other interesting areas are uh, there's a whole suite of you know what I call API based tools um, and basically what that means an API application programming interface it just means that it's kind of the way technology talks to each other. Um, but what these tools let companies do and staffing companies in particular do is if you want to basically build your own solution for some kind of category that's important, um, you, you basically can do that in your own way. And it makes it very easy uh, to build those without having to do it from scratch. So a couple examples are, you know, like onboarded in um, for onboarding, they've got an API where if you want to build your own custom onboarding solution, 
and brand it with your own, you know, the uh, as you know, XYZ staffing company onboarding. Um, you know, you've got a back end that will that will do all the things that you you needed to do. Same thing with um like payroll is a company called Zeal, where it's an API-based payroll solution. And so, you know, if you want to build, you know, a payroll front end and start selling a payroll service, you can basically do that. Um, so that's 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 really cool. It basically lets uh organizations build kind of their own custom solutions without, you know, with having the whole back end of that taken care of already. David, David, is that similar to the codeless apps that we're seeing more and more of? Yeah, it's or, similar to codeless apps. I mean, yeah. there might be some code. If you're building, I mean, if you're building an application, there's going to be some code, but it's it some goes code. from, you know, needing to build all yeah. the code to needing to build like, you know, maybe five or 10% of the code um, because all the, the kind of hard, the most of the stuff's already been built. All you need to do is kind of take care of the presentation layer. Yeah, see, I, I I bucket that to some of the apps that I, I work with that, that just require some configuration because we do yeah. that with some of the apps where we make them client specific and we do some branding associated to it. And we're, we're turning and burning those through a lot. So we, we make them very customer specific and they look like a brand new app. And we also do it in the low code, no code space where we're doing some of those same, similar things um, where we say it's low code, no code, but we still have a development component uh, associated to it, but we're able to minimize the development effort. Um, so similar to that. So yeah, yeah, I definitely see a big rise on some of those components. Um, yeah, it's it seems like it's growing. So that's, been, that's exciting. Yeah, it seems like it's growing a lot more. And for anybody who's interested in what codeless apps are, they're just, uh, they're, systems out there that make it easier for you to create different types of applications and web apps and those types of things without actually needing to have the coding or, or like you said, it might be light coding or at least you can get maybe 75% of the way there. And then you get um, uh, somebody to code it. And a lot of times these codeless app services, they have coders that can help you if you want to customize right. even further yeah the cool thing too is it's like you can yeah. you can have the experience you can basically build an experience that feels like to your client it feels like you know it feels like some custom custom mm -hmm. application right like it feels like you know like you're a software company suddenly and you know you've they don't know necessarily what that what the back end is um and so yeah you can present yourself basically like a software company like kind of a modern um a modern solution without needing to you know hire a bunch of uh, software developers to actually build you some custom solution to maintain it. And a good example would be something like yeah. a, uh, a client portal, creating a, a client portal from some sort of a codeless app or, or a similar type system, right? Right. There's a question here from an anonymous yeah, attendee. Yeah, we actually Tom, create just... reusable. Com... Oh. Go ahead. I didn't mean to interrupt you. Go ahead. No, I was going to say we, we've, created reusable components what we we put out there and we actually helped some of our what we call citizen developers so some of our business units um, and and business um, individuals that are more tech savvy we we help them you know develop some of the apps to fill gaps uh, to a certain level and put reusable components out there so that they don't have to be so reliant on it yeah. so we put it in their hands but uh, let's let's go ask um, answer some questions. 
Yeah, it, yeah. There's a, somebody asked, what are the ways you've driven engagement among the team when implementing a new technology? People like to keep doing what they've always done. The 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 age old change <laughs> management question. Yeah. So um, we actually there's a couple of things. One, I, we've we've heard over and over again, live training um, is number one. <laughs> they still like live training. Um, that's one thing. And also, you've got to have upper leadership, you know, really push. Um, also, incentive. <laughs> Incentives are always key to get uh, adoption of a new technology. Um, and then one of the things that we've also implemented is a, a tool that's called Walk Me um, that actually has little sound bites and, and it's embedded in the tool and it takes them through the process. Um, and shows them how to do a particular function within the tool. Um, but without the leadership endorsing it and promoting it, um, also, you know, once again, incentive, um, especially if it's sales, I've seen from a sales standpoint, that's that seems like a tough crowd. No offense, Tom. Um, <laughs> but that seems like a tough crowd to get them to adopt technology. I, so Yeah, I... Personal observation, um, you know, the training is huge. So, you know, uh, one reason folks don't use a tool or don't use it sometimes to the way that they're kind of expected is, quite frankly, they haven't been given the resource to actually know how to use it or they've never been, you know, sufficiently trained on it. So it's kind of like, oh, here's the new tool you're going to use. Here's the new process. Go figure it out. Um, so, you know, you should have some training Um uh Make sure you have basically like a training roadmap in place is, is one one piece of advice. Um, another is, you know, we've we've done another a, a number of, you know, kind of engagements where we've holistically looked in organizations, technology stack and had them walk through the, you know, kind of the whole process of changing that out. And to the extent that you're able to basically get folks involved earlier in the process and make them feel kind of bought into the decision, um, that seems to help. So like. We had this idea or in, in, you know, traditional consulting, there's this idea of like the number of interviews you need to have, you know, in order to understand what the, what the root problems are. And then it's like the number of conversations you need to have to like get every get everybody kind of heard and brought along for the ride. And so those, those two numbers are drastically different. You know, what I'd suggest is if you're going to be making sweeping changes, like you should um, have some mechanism where you can talk to your employees or talk to the folks that are going to be using this and make sure you at least give them an opportunity to, to voice their concerns or, um, uh, you know, talk about what they want and, um, and then, you know, bring them alive for the, for the decisions. They feel some, some ownership in it. Uh, and then the last thing I'll, I'll say, there's actually, there's a, an interesting company. I think it's probably, you know, kind of similar to, to walk me, but it's, it was, um, born in and grew up in the staffing industry. It's, uh, called Volante. And, um, you know, it's interesting solution. It's like a, a change management software. And so the idea is, you know, you're kind of building in incentive structures and training and, you know, everything you would need to do kind of a big system change or to actually roll something out. And so um, that that's available for what it is. Yeah, I, we've done a lot of change management and, and user adoption over the years with technologies and uh, all the things that, that you're talking about, I think incentives are great. I think um, if you can have contests that that encourage people to do it, you got to have visibility also, you know, regularly getting reports out there. Here are the, the leaderboards. Here are the people that are using it. 
have success stories that you're sharing. The other thing too, is that as you're going through the process way before you actually implement is you need to have subject matter experts internally ambassadors. And so if you have different branches or markets or things like that, you want to have people that are actually the ambassadors and the subject matter experts there for a couple of reasons. One is to help people as you're implementing, but two is to really be the cheerleaders of this change. Um, and, and then the other thing too, is you don't want to make it real easy to revert back to old ways. So, and we see that happen a lot where uh, we kind of give people an out to go back to what they're comfortable with. And, and most of change management is trying to get people to develop new habits and not fall back into the old habits that they have. Um, but love doing, love doing incentives, love having visibility, having leaderboards and dashboards and those types of things. I hope I think you were going to say something. Yeah. Yeah. And Tom, you, you shared last year, if people go back in the archives of Staffing World and they have access to the recording, you shared last year in our workshop some, some uh, technology that had some of the, the gaming effect, yeah. I think it was. Um, and that, and then one more thing that we've done in a couple of areas, we have had, uh, we're just launching some new performance management and also some new ways of requisition, um, requisition requests. So hiring managers, especially now, we may not have that many openings just due to tightening our belt a little bit. And then performance management, you may only be doing it three to four times a year. So you don't go into those tools so much. So one of my uh, team members was actually going, guys, we got to make it simple. You got to make it like an app that you're going on the phone, which, which brings up a good point. We've got to be designing some of the tools that we have to be that easy um, and simplistic. So where you can design for that. Um, so that's some of the, the other pieces that we're doing. Yeah. I um, guess there's a, there's an element of basically, yeah, it's like there's an element of listening to you, the folks that are using it to make sure like what you've bought actually makes sense. It actually is better and, you know, mm -hmm. is better than, than status quo. Right. So um, uh, certainly if you're implementing some change management uh, or some new technology, you want to make sure that it's getting the results that you expect and they are better than, than what the status right. quo um, is. You don't want to handicap somebody with a new process that is actually making them less productive. Right. So. Um, yeah. Well, and that's where we're, we're leaning in to some of our, what I'll call our citizen developers on the uh, low code, no code space. So we're allowing them to put together needs that they have to fill gaps. And they're bringing those uh, low code, no code solutions to us. And they're, they're kind of half baked. And then they bring them to us and we evaluate them and then we make them enterprise ready. And then we, we put them on steroids basically and finish them off and launch them. Um, so that way we're really taking in what the users are really needing, um, on the front line. So it's kind of a new concept that we have that we've, we've taken in. Yeah, it brings up, uh, David, you kind of touched on it. It brings up one of the big mistakes that we see staffing companies do all the time is they'll introduce a new technology, but it's kind of an add on. It's not replacing anything. It's not integrated into processes, it's kind of like it's over here or it's on top of here, but it ends up being extra work um, for people or at least perceived extra work as opposed to actually solving a problem and making it easier. Right, right. Yeah. 
easy to get to get uh easy to get drawn in to the shiny whistle and then you know uh, yeah yeah fair point one other just uh i guess uh comment on the the overall the separate from from adoption talking about emerging trends um i don't know if this is necessarily emerging but maybe this is a you know a trend kind of still five or seven years in the in the making is just around kind of platforms and the platformization of staffing we call it the appization of staffing whatever you want um the i think you know there was a there was a sense in you know kind of the the mid 2010s when um you know upwork was still relatively was still relatively new and there was these new kind of on demand you know platforms coming out and everybody was posturing like we're going to disrupt the industry you know quite frankly i mean that obviously didn't happen right uh, here we are in 2023 and um you know that hasn't happened and so i think there's maybe because of that um uh, a little bit of I don't know if displacency is the right word, but just less kind of concern or less focus on, you know, that that category uh, of technology. Although I do think, you know, we're, you know, uh, I don't think that there's going to be wholesale disruption, but I do think that, um, you know, to the extent that, you know, the staffing kind of uh, staffing company or the staffing process can be redesigned into kind of a more consumer friendly on demand um you know always available digital first experience um i do think that that is the future and so the companies that maybe they're you know built that way from the ground up and they're kind of these new uh, technology first companies that decided to get into staffing or maybe you're staffing companies that have you know gotten really savvy with technology and you know been able to build you know a really great kind of end-to-end -end experience um but, you know, our hypothesis is that, you know, in the next, you know, five years or so, if you looked at like SA's kind of largest 20 staffing companies, you know, uh, a bunch of the companies that are going to be on that list, either A, wouldn't necessarily be considered, you know, staffing by kind of how we define it today, or going to be companies that have kind of made that that transition. So, um, and there are more tools out there than kind of ever to, to do that. Um, yeah. But, uh, yeah, I think, a, you know, a good example of a company that actually made that transition or uh, is, is, you know, like Aya Healthcare, for example, um, uh, you know, start as a traditional staffing company, still founder led, um, you know, they now describe themselves as a, you know, a, a technology company. And I think you can maybe philosophically argue about, uh, you know, are they still a staffing company or they technology company or not, or, right. you know, um, how much of their growth was due to being in a, in a great industry kind of at the right time. Uh, but regardless, you know, even comparing to, to other firms kind of even within their category. Uh, you can see that that's been a massive propellant to their to their growth. So, um, yeah, yeah, I, we, I, we, I wouldn't forget about that kind of area. Um, you know, yeah, it's it hasn't I, had the wholesale disruption yet. Yeah, it's it's a great it's a great point. We're actually seeing that more in the healthcare vertical than anywhere. You're seeing a lot of these that's right. platform based travel nurses, and and in fact, now there's a lot of discussion around you know because in a lot of cases they're using independent contractors, 1099s. And is that really the way that it should be, you know, the legality of that and all that, but, right. uh, but we are seeing that pretty heavily in that area. I think that COVID actually slowed it down because mm -hmm. going into COVID Uber was, was really making strides on creating um, uh, the, the, their staffing division, Uber works. 
That's right. And um, yeah, then COVID came along and Uber, mm-hmm. you know, basically got rid of all their divisions except for Uber Eats and, and Uber Rideshare. Yeah. And so uh, I think it would have been a different picture if Uber was probably still in the in the picture three years later here. Um, but uh, to me, that that probably was one of the factors that slowed down the adoption and the growth of that. It's still growing. It's growing like crazy, but it's, yeah. it's just not the size we think it is. Hope your thoughts on that. Yeah, I definitely would. Yeah, I definitely agree. I, I think that's, you've got a good point there, David, that um, that's one to watch. It, it's probably going to pick up again. Um, I, I think there's companies out there that are still, you know, even even being a beeline with join, uh, joined up, that's you know, right. they picked yeah. that up. That, that's yeah. a good one. That, that's one to watch, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and And Tom, I think you're right. I think COVID slowed it down. I think it would have been a different yeah. world um, if that didn't happen. Uh, but it, it is but, one of those where um, you're seeing the the largest ATSs like Bullhorn and Aviante and others that are looking at mm-hmm. this end-to-end platform, mobile-based, you know, the mobile is kind of the core of it yeah. and, and to go from, from end-to-end. Yeah. So with different approaches, but, um, we'll, you know, we'll mm-hmm. see how it plays out over the next few years. Uh, I want to just remind yeah. people again, if you I, have questions, I, oh, sorry, if you have questions, go ahead and type them in the Q&A. We'd love to answer them. If not, we'll keep on uh, talking about the topics that we have, but Hope, go ahead. Yeah, so I think also, I, I think blockchain still hanging around out there. I think it's still, I, I still hear lots of little, you know, rumblings about blockchain. Um, I think some of the projects have kind of slowed down a bit, but I think that's one that still, you know, people are interested in having their own, you know, identity and their information that they can travel with. Um, and I, I think that's one that's still going to, you know, probably rise in, I think, a few years and and be more. Yeah, yeah I, gotta, I don't know, David, what do you think I, about that? I, uh Yes, you know, I kind of, re- I, I, I mostly disagree, but I agree in a, in a couple of key cases. My, um, mm-hmm. with, with blockchain, the, the, um, you know, the, the big thing I've never been able to grok is like basically the, you know, most of, of blockchain, it's a, uh, it's a database technology, number one, and it's kind of best mm-hmm. use case is in facilitating exchange of, um, you know, digital assets or digital money. And so whenever, like during the Mm -hmm. kind of blockchain heyday, when there was all these like thousand different use cases or whatnot, potentially, Mm -hmm. you know, at the end of the day, it it boiled down to like, you need to, you know, transfer a, uh, you know, some money from one place to another. And so I was like, well, how are we going to build a, a, uh, you know, like, what does that have to do with staffing number one or work generally? And the second, the second piece that was a little bit tricky was like the, you know, like the benefit of something like Bitcoin is that it's uncensorable. And so that's normally like one of these things that people brag about, you know, blockchain is so great because it's uncensorable, which basically means like you have to do this, all this extra work to validate transactions. It turns out that like just being able to validate transactions is actually way more efficient to have, you know, a quote unquote centralized third party do that. Because then like, if you screw something up, you can easily change it. um, And you don't need to have all these kind of like redundant resources, um, uh, et cetera. All that said, there is a couple of use cases to your point, Hope, which I think are potentially going to be huge. And I don't know like who the winner is here, but one is digital identity. And so, and you know, the the 
benefit of having a token or monetary exchange is, you know, uh, if you have a standard by which you're doing like a background check, for example, or a reference check, um, or you want to get somebody to find out what their credentials are, you could basically, you know, pay that person directly as opposed to, you know, paying some party who's gone out and, you know, just kind of aggregated that information or, or is doing a new check for you for the first time. So that type of a system could be great. And, you know, the other, the other kind of use case would be, you know, maybe it's just a more evolved version of that is some kind of a LinkedIn killer, which is like, you know, an open, you know, an open LinkedIn, right? Like an open social network where, where you have people have their work identity and, you know, their work history and their connections. Um, and the token, again, is just there to kind of lubricate the, uh, the network. There was an interesting company again. I'm forgetting the name now, but um, they were actually working with um, with some big corporates. Like HCA was a, was one of the early partners, and there was a couple of other um, uh, organizations that were like invested into it, where they were basically building that out. But even by their you know partners in mission, it was still like really early stage, and you know it wasn't really moving the needle. It was more one of those things that they were excited about, and so it, it kind of invested in and partnered with. Hey, I want to get to the question. There, somebody posted a good question here. Does anyone have experience with the productivity tools that report on when our, where our teams, remote or in office, spend their time? I would love to have greater visibility into where top performers spend most of their time. Who wants to take a run at that? I have thoughts, but I'll defer to you guys first. You're the guests. Yeah, well, I hope you're living it. Um, hey. Yeah, I'm living it right now. Um, but uh, this is one that actually we're going to highlight and at Staffing World. So um, we're going to talk about remote workers. Um, that seems to be everybody's concern. And uh, ProtoScore is one that we're going to highlight, right, David? Um, yeah, they're, they're there. Say. That's one that... But yeah, yeah, I think the I don't I don't have any direct experience, so I can't report on like which tool is the best anonymous mm -hmm. attendee. Uh, right. So you know, wish I can mention like this vendor yeah. is great, and we've seen it like work at X staffing company. I've seen a couple of other solutions that were basically like hacked to be um, remote and in person productivity. Uh, so you know, one organization basically what they did is you know they 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 knew which teams were in which locations to begin with because they had basically had a bifurcation of like either you're in person or remote. So there wasn't like a real, like a daily check-in like three days on two days off or something like that. And they basically looked at, they, they, they tracked their activity. Um, you know, they had one of those system trackers so they could see exactly like what people were doing, uh, during the day. And then they created some, you know, kind of overall efficient, like productivity dashboards. And, you know, they looked at group A that was in office group B that was not in office. And, um, you know, use that to, and they, they could then see that down to like the individual producer level. And so they could see like what one person was doing, what another person was doing, yeah. um, et cetera. I, I think yeah. um, for me, the performance-based, to me, it's, it should all be performance-based. It's it, yeah. what is, what is the requirement yeah. of the job and are people doing it? And, and, um, and what do they need to do to get to, to, perform. So if we have a recruiter uh, spot and the the goal of that seat is for them to do $10,000 a week in gross profit, then how do we track the different activities that we know predict success to get to that $10,000 a week? And so again, it's about being able to track candidate conversations, 
It's about being able to track things like phone time because we know that the people who talk on the phone more make more placements. And we got lots of data that shows that. Um, and so just something as simple as, as a voice over IP system that can track uh, the, the length of calls and uh, also be able to record it so we can listen to the quality of calls and we can coach them and train them and get them better. And then to just have the system, your own ATS can track things like submittals. And then you can start to get into ratios around how many submittals does it take to get a new hire and how do we improve on that? And then, so to me, it, it doesn't have to be a kind of a fancy, you know, counting keystrokes and counting when the mouse yeah. is moving. It, it really is, you know, identifying what do we need to have out of each of these positions and how do we track that? And then let them run with it. Let it let them yeah. get there. I think that's yeah. that's that's you're you're right. The only the only caveat I would say is people respond to incentives. And so in practice, I can say what what's happened. What I've you know seen a couple of cases where you know, um, uh, for example, like uh, with sourcers, um, you know, if the the metric that was being tracked was like number of um, you know outreaches you're making or number of profiles that you visited and like imported to it to a database to set up a campaign. Um, you know, what would happen once things started getting tracked, like the, the expectation was 50, then, you know, people would click through really quick just to make sure that they did their 50. Um, yeah. And so it's more about like managing to that KPI versus like actually managing to the outcome, which is like, we're trying to get, you know, good people to convert. So there's a little right. bit of a balancing act in between, you know, the setting up the activities and basically managing towards the outcome that you're actually trying to, um, uh, uh, to get. So, you know, trying to avoid people looking busy for the sake of looking busy um, yeah. just to get by and, you know, also, you know, actually being, you know, productive and, and, you know, working when they're supposed to be working, obviously. At the end of the day, yeah. your, um, your, your payroll people can do all that they want to look busy, but if they don't get payroll done, they didn't do their job. Right. And it's the yeah. same thing with recruiters. It's the same thing with salespeople. It's the same thing with account managers, with branch managers, with, uh, almost everybody in the organization, we have to quantify what does success look like in that role. And then that's what we manage to. We show them the path to get to that success. And that's what the activities and submittals and that kind of stuff. But at the end of the day, it really comes down to in order for us to be a viable organization, uh, you, we need to have certain levels of production for certain positions. And that's what, what we measure to. Oh, did you have yeah. something to add to that as well? I, I 100%. Yeah, I have, I 100% agree. I mean, all of us are probably working with teams. So my entire team is remote. Um, and I tell my, my team, it, it's not so much about uh, what, you're, you know, I'm, I'm looking at all the different various roles that I have. And it's your performance, your performance of to that role. They have specific jobs to do. And it may take somebody a few hours. It may take da David a, a couple hours to do a, a particular task. And Tom, it may take you twice as long um, for yeah. whatever reason. Um, but it's getting the, the job done. Um, so you've got to measure the individual performance uh, against the task at hand um, with that specific role. Some of these tools may help you. Some of the 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 seminars and the coaching and, and different things may help you. Um, but at the end of the day, you've got to manage the individual against the role. Yeah, absolutely. I so we got final, just a few 
Final okay. comment there is just going to be my the you know from from all the data we've seen there tends to be a difference between you know behaviors in Homer at person and so you know uh, measuring just measuring and understanding that's the first step towards you know making better decisions and and, and intervening where 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 it might be necessary. Absolutely. Yeah. Go ahead, Tom. Sorry. We've got just a few minutes left. I want to get to a topic that may take the rest of the time on this. We touched on it a little bit. Is AI going to replace recruiters? Yeah. That's the question I get all the time. I actually wrote an article about this for ASA uh, that yeah. came out a couple months ago, but I'd love to get your thoughts on it. Yeah, I suspect so. Uh, with AI, so AI, is, first of all, I guess there's a clarifying point, which is that AI has been around for a long time, right? So I, I suspect when what you're asking there is like, is the new kind of generation of AI, which basically can, you know, mimic human intelligence and creativity uh, to a pretty surprising extent, uh, is that going to replace recruiters? Um, I suspect the, yeah, I don't know. I think, I, I think the answer is still no with some caveats. Um, I think the role is probably going to change significantly. Um you know, first of all, in kind of like in 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 writing, like first of all, let's just look historically. Like, what impact has AI had already? Um, you know, the technically, you can you know before you know OpenAI released its uh you know uh, language model, you know ChatGPT, and you know to the world in in January, like you could do AI based matching already. You could have a conversational interface. Um, uh, you could basically do rediscovery already and, and, and that hadn't, you know, if it, it might've been an additive to, to, you know, uh, to recruiters, but it didn't like replace them today. I guess the difference is like, like I was just on a demo yesterday with a, a company that can, you know, basically built a, a live conversation, it's like Converse AI, you know, it's called Hey Milo, but they're doing like an interview and they're using a large language model, A, to create the interview itself, B, to create like a scoring rubric for that interview, um, C, to actually conduct the interview with like in a, in, a, in a voice interaction, and then to come back with like a recorded transcription of the interview, along with like their assessment of the candidate based on, you know, the answers that they gave, right? So that's like an entirely kind of automated, uh, you know, interview process. Um, uh, so, you know, something that normally a sourcer probably would be doing. Um, there's still an element, I think, of, uh, you know, even in the world where like that kind of capability is, you know, the that that particular product was still pretty, you know, the one I saw yesterday was still pretty rough because it's early stage, you know, two guys in a garage, basically, um, or an accelerator in Toronto, but like you could see kind of the future of the writing on the wall, so to speak. I think even in that world, uh, relationship building is still incredibly important. And so like maybe people are going to develop deep relationships with AIs. I, I doubt it. I think that human connection still matters a lot. Deep expertise in particular areas is still really important. Selling is still really important. Um, and so, you know, I think the role of recruiters will change significantly and there might be some adverse impact. Like I, I suspect a lot of organizations will think like, oh, like why don't we just use chat GBT instead of hiring, you know, a bunch of new recruiters like that, that will be like maybe the gut reaction from executives. Um, but in, in practice, like other kind of technology innovations that have come before, uh, there'll be a fair amount of displacement, but I don't, fundamentally, I don't think the role is going away. Um, it's just going to change. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. 
I, I don't think the role will um, go away. I, I do think um, they will use it as a tool, uh, similar to like uh, somewhat what David said, they're going to use it to, you know, write job descriptions or sharpen the job description. So take that out of the equation, um, redo uh, resumes if they need to have resumes, you know, in the future, I don't think the resumes are going to matter. I think they're going to evolve from resumes. Um, that's my prediction that resumes are going to change or um, you're not going to need them as much. Um, but uh, I don't think the role will totally go away in the future. Yeah. I, um, my, it should my complement it. So, similar, similar to it. Yep. Yeah, go ahead. My, my answer to it has always been that if you're, if you're doing administrative um, just task-oriented activities. If you're doing things that are repetitive, if you're so, if you're doing keyword searches on job boards, if you're, um, you know, sending out emails and texts, and and that's all you're doing, those things are going to get replaced. They're already being replaced. If you are a yeah. a recruiter that is building relationships, that is getting out there talking to people, building pools of talent that is focused on matching up talent to positions and really trying to find the best fit, AI is just going to continue to enhance and it's going to enable you to, um, to grow and to scale. And so uh, I look at it, David, you said earlier that, that you thought AI was going to be as transformative as the internet. And I think it's a good analogy. I think of it even as if you think about the calculator or about the word processor, the computer, the you know where we've had this transformative technology that changes the way that not only we work but the the way we live. And the internet yeah. is a great example of that. Um, this is that next generation yeah. of that. That's right. And, and like in the early days of the internet, like you didn't know, like if you would have thought like in 1998, if you would have said like, oh, like you you would have talked about like what are the world's biggest businesses and and the revenue model that they would have, it would be like you like who could have predicted, right? Like um right. Um yeah. Uh so yeah. I think a lot of like that that transformation is yet to yet to come. One last point I'll make, I guess, on the on the on the AI thing is, you know, have the benefit of uh, I know a small staffing company that, um, you know, had a pretty technical co-founder. And so they actually, you know, used an open source language model and, you know, built an application to do basically, uh, um, you know, uh, Gen AI internally across their entire business. And for what it's worth, the, you know, the they you know didn't go out and lay a bunch of people off um they used it as uh basically an initial matching tool and then an invite to apply so um and the the biggest impact was that their sourcers normally they had like a six up six month ramping period for their sourcers uh before like a source would ever be able to talk to a candidate and it like basically shortened that to one week so the tool up leveled the sourcers to kind of become technical experts um you know in the roles it was an it staffing company uh, and so it enables their sourcers to be able to, to, you know, start like reaching out to candidates with, you know, without like manager approval or intervention, you know, within a week. So uh, it was more of a, a productivity boost rather than they went and laid a bunch of people off. And that's what it's all about. It's not going to replace people. Perfect. It's just going to create new opportunities and it's going to allow people to to focus on the more value add part of their jobs. So I think it's a great example. So. We are at the end of our time. Um, I want to thank you both. Thank yeah. you. We could talk for another couple hours if we had the time. 
to do this. Mm -hmm. uh, but thank you very much. I did want to let people, if you miss any of our past episodes or want to revisit them, you can find recordings of our discussion on popular podcast platforms like Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Be sure to sign up for our next live panel cast discussion, uh, which is in, uh, I don't have the date right here, but it's Tuesday in November, where we'll be discussing the latest trends in, um, uh, in compliance. Uh, you can sign up for the next Staffing in Sync, as well as access to the video library of our past sessions on our website, staffingandsync.com. Staffing and Sync is produced and sponsored by SyncStream Solutions, the top provider of Affordable Care Act compliance for the staffing industry, and Essential Staff Care, the largest provider of health insurance and benefits to the staffing industry. So thank you very much to those two organizations. Thank you for your support. I uh, hope you had a good session. We look forward to seeing you on the next one. Thank you both for, uh, for being part of this. Great discussion. And uh, everybody have a great week. Good times. Cheers, everyone. Bye-bye. Thank you for tuning in to Staffing in Sync. We hope you found our discussion insightful and informative. If you missed any of our past episodes or want to revisit them, you can find recordings of our discussions on popular podcast platforms like Spotify and Apple Podcasts, as well as on our website. To stay up to date on the latest trends and insights in the staffing industry, be sure to sign up for our next live panel cast discussion. You can find all the details and sign up on our website at staffinginsync.com. Thank you again for your support, and we look forward to having you join us again soon on Staffing in Sync.